Hello and welcome to episode 136 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We're here at you with a quick on-the-counter episode. We just want to get you caught up on all things going on in the world of LAFC. We do have an opponent correspondent for today's show. None other than Sam Spiller of Stumptown Footy is going to be swinging back by the pod to get us ready for them pesky pine trees of Portland, as our friend Philly likes to say. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me this evening, none other than Mr. Christopher Sines. Good evening, sir. Welcome. What's going on, Black and Gold family? Happy to be back. Took a week off for that international break. You know, I think that uh, it was good timing, honestly, Jonathan, because if we would have recorded this episode on a Monday, which we normally do, thus we would have woken up on a Tuesday with breaking news that we wouldn't have been able to talk about. So luckily, we uh, decided to wait an extra day and just do a recording on a Tuesday. And thankfully for us, we're able to talk about some breaking news that happened this morning. Yeah, we're clearly learning our lessons. And thank you also for not having us record on Monday after I went to uh, both nights of Rammstein over the weekend. They're bank adjacent, I suppose. I was needing of that extra day of respite, my friend. So much appreciated. But before we get into the big news that dropped today, now we do have a couple other things we want to catch up on that have transpired since the last show. First of which, and the thing that should absolutely be number one on the rundown, is the fact that we, the black and gold, are number one in the West. We have clinched that top spot. Nothing else can happen. We got number one spot in the West. All we have to look forward to is supportive shield. So how does it feel, my friend? Top of the West. I think it's a huge relief, right? Those are checking the boxes, right? When you look at overall the punch list of things that we want to accomplish, securing first place and having home field matches for the playoffs. I think that those are some of the things that every team at the beginning of the season, they want to be in that position. Obviously with LAFC, we have our home field advantage with the 3252 and our amazing crowds. So I think that this was definitely something that we are happy that we've secured. And now we can focus on the next phase of that punch list, which is obtaining the supporter shield. And then after that, it's moving on into the MLS cup. And on top of that, another thing that on a punch list that doesn't necessarily apply to the MLS regular season, but it is securing that Conca Champions League entrance for teams from the MLS that get represented to go on for Conca Champions is the best team from the West the best team from the East. One of them will be the Supporters' Shield winners, the best team from the West, the best team from the East, the eventual MLS champion, and then the team that won the U.S. Open Cup. Now, if one of the teams that was from the West or the East ends up being the MLS champion, then it ends up being the next best team in that division with the best record that then represents the MLS. So, you know, LAFC secured it. So that's that's great. Good to see LAFC at Global Football in 2023. Get your passports ready, everybody. Make sure that we don't have any of those issues that uh, we had heard about from the last time around where people's passports were expiring within six months of uh, them traveling and then they had issues getting to and from. So, uh, you know, make sure if your passports are expiring within six months of February or March of next year that you're going to want to uh, renew those so that you can go to those matches. Yeah, highly recommend the passport card. We end up playing any games in Mexico or it works for some of the Caribbean islands as well, too, depending on where you're heading. So that's always a handy thing to have for those last minute trips down to Mexico or if you don't want to have to lug the whole passport around. But either way, we're in, baby. Ticket stamped. We're on our way. Conquer champions. Second time in five years. That's what we play for, right? I mean, the goal at the end of the season is to win a cup and get it in Conca. We've already checked one of those boxes. Supporter Shield still maybe within our grasp if we can win this out. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. 
Locked, you know, four teams with, are locked in. With regards to the Supporters' Shield, you know, and we'll get to it in a little bit after we recap the uh, win against Houston, but LAFC just has to do their job, right? If LAFC wins like we know they can, then the Supporters' Shield is ours. We are in the driver's seat for it, so if we do our job, that will play to our favor. Um, and just to highlight any of those that are wondering what are some of the countries that you might be traveling to, Liga MX has four teams, Atlas, Tigres, Leon, and Pachuca. Canada gets a representative for the winner of the Canadian Championship, which this year's representative is the Vancouver Whitecaps. So even though they're from the MLS, they got their bid in through the Canadian Championship. Haiti is sending one team. Honduras is sending three teams. El Salvador has one team. And Panama has one team. So those are the countries where there will be the home and away matches that you can potentially look forward to going to if you want to travel to go watch LAFC play. I mean, of all those countries like Haiti, Honduras, El Salvador, Panama, right? Because Canada, that doesn't really count as an away day, right? Like it kind of does. That's an away day, bro. It does. I mean, it can, it doesn't count as an international away day. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, hey, bro, like, you still got to go through customs, homie. That's international away day in my book. But it's not the same. No. So if you not. had to pick between Haiti, Honduras, El Salvador, Panama, where do you want to go play? I would say I think Honduras would be a lot of fun or El Salvador. You know, I think Alianza is, is one of those teams that you're uh, you've heard a lot about. It's a very historic team within the El Salvadorian community. I would like to think that Honduras or El Salvador would be the two countries that I would be most interested in visiting. But even if it was just to go and see one of the Liga Mekis teams also, you know, that's not as far of a trip. I think that going and seeing like Atlas uh, would be a lot of fun. You know, you guys had talked about going and seeing Leon the last time we were in, in Conca Champions. And I like the fact that Tigres is in there because it might give LAC an opportunity to uh, exercise some demons. Yeah, I think the trip to Mexico would be the easiest for everyone to handle. I just, that's probably when we advance to later rounds in the tournament. For that first round, it's likely we're going to be playing, I don't know, one of those cool countries. Anyway, I think Panama. Panama to me sounds like a really fun place to travel to. I've never been to Panama. That's the one I would pick. Love Panamanian rum. So that's that's the deciding factor for me. But it's cool, man. It's, uh, you know, look, Champagne problems. Gosh, which country do we get to go to on our CCL away day? That's the great topic of conversation. I love love this way the show's going so far. One of the things, though, that I would be interested about, though, when we're talking about these international travels, right? Like when we've seen the United States go and travel to like El Salvador, for example, the pitch conditions are not always favorable. And so I wonder, you know, like you go there expecting an experience of one type and then you know, you almost get a little bit disappointed, I think, sometimes with the conditions of the stadiums or things like that. And it's the play on the pitch is not at the highest level that it could have been, which kind of takes away from the overall experience, I think, sometimes. Sure, but some of that's just part of CCL being CCL. You know, some of that's just kind of part of the madness that you got to enjoy as part of the tournament. You know, like sometimes you're going to go a mile up in the air on short rest. Sometimes you're going to go to a place that has, a, you know, a horrible, humid, hot climate. Sometimes you're going to have to play on a, a poor pitch. That's kind of part of it. You know, sometimes you got to play in snow like that's CCL, man. I, I don't know. I just think I kind of enjoy the madness of it. Uh, I mean, that's true, too. Right. Conquer calf going to conquer calf. Right. That ain't that the truth. Well, why don't we go ahead and move on to um, LAFC ninth straight win at home defeated Houston three to one at the bank was uh, an interesting first half two pens Vela sinks both of them good old friend Corey Baird gets himself a goal doesn't celebrate class act and then Hollingshead with an absolute galazzo boom LAFC the first team in MLS 220 wins 
21 would tie the record we set in 2019. So if we're winning a supporter shield, we're also setting a new record. And then, of course, Dolo tying the rookie head coach record for wins. He's tied now with 1998's Chicago Fire Bob Bradley and then the 96 Tampa Bay Mutiny under Rongin. So, I mean, look, champagne problems, all the issues we've had over the past month as this team is coming together. I'm drawing a line right now. It's playoff season. It's shield hunt time. We got to put all of that negativity behind us and focus on the fact that this team is gelling coming out of this international break and we're going for it. We've got a 3-1 win in the bag moving forward. Your thoughts on this game, my friend? I think that the match overall, like when you look at Houston and where they're at in the table, I'm happy to see that LAFC had won 3-1. But when you also look at how they got two of those goals, it was penalties, right? And not to say the penalties aren't part of the game, but those are not necessarily goals that are as earned as an actual goal that's put together by players that are putting in passes. And I mean, you still got to get into a dangerous position with inside the opponent's box sure, where they're sure, forced sure. to I've... do nothing else other than foul you in order to stop you from getting a, a good look. I mean, you have to create those kinds of opportunities in order to get penalties. Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to take that away. I think I would have been happier if the scoreline was three to one and none of those three goals were penalties. And those were all goals that came from situations or or set pieces or what have you just because that would have shown a little bit more of the dominance that LAFC had over a team like Houston that's at the bottom of the Western Conference yeah I mean look I'm totally with you at this point I would much prefer goals from open play I can't even remember the last time LAFC scored from a set piece that wasn't a corner I mean I can't even remember the last one we have not been that team this year you know, and especially with the service of someone like Kellen Acosta, you would expect us to be better at, at those kind of things. But yeah, I I would absolutely love them to be screamers, bicycles, you know, half volleys, you name it. But I'll take a win. And anytime Vela goes up there and converts a penalty, improves his percentage to over 80% now, which is better than average, which of course speaks to Vela in many, many categories. But, you know, after the miss a couple of weeks ago, I think people were kind of down on him and his PK taken. But he, you know, slots these two home. The confidence is back. The win is back. Things are looking good moving forward. I really liked the integration of Denny Buanga. There's a lot of people right now trying to compare him to Raito, and I completely understand why. But there are some people who've been making the argument that he is not the player Raito was, and, and I have to completely disagree on that one. I think he has already shown us more in a very short amount of time than we saw from Raito previously. Uh, any thoughts on the comp before we close up this game? I mean, when you look at Denny Buwanga, I think that he is head and shoulders above Brian Rodriguez, and I was a Brian Rodriguez fan. I think that you just see, you know... and. I mean, Denny Bowanga is also older, more seasoned. So maybe that this is flashes of what Brian Rodriguez potentially could be. But I think that when you look at his positioning and how he finds his lanes and his runs, that he is definitely someone that is able. I mean, typically, when do you see a player as a designated player that is acquired midseason in the summer transfer window integrate themselves into a squad as seamlessly as it appears that he has? I mean, he's not necessarily putting up goals on the score sheet but he is contributing at, at a very high level. Yeah, and I think, you know, as he continues to gel with this team, some of the numbers that aren't great for him, you know, some of his attacking, passing, and, and you know, moving through the midfield, his numbers, you know, are a little beneath Raito's. But, you know, to me, the big sign of, of the coaching of Dolo is how well he's performed defensively. I mean, he's in like the 99th percentile for his position in the defensive numbers he's put up so far. The guy has been amazing. 
the shots will come, you know, the shot creation will come as he gels with the team a little better, you know, so will his numbers in advancing the ball, but I mean, just the big physical frame, how he gets back defensively, his work rate, you know, working his way and getting corners, getting penalties. I'm just seeing a lot more production and a lot more skill set than I saw from Raito. But moving on, we have another anthem in the history of the Los Angeles Football Club. None other than Cypress Hill. DJ Flicked and Chavo, past guest of the show, debuted their song, Reppin' the City, the LAFC Anthem. So now coming up, Cypress Hill is going to be playing a concert the Palladium on October 29th. So now here's the question, Chris. Shavo showing up, DJ Flick showing up. Are they going to play Rep in the City with Cypress Hill? What is your prediction, oh, my friend? 100%. I think that I think that we can 100% anticipate that. You know, Shavo lives here in Los Angeles, and so does DJ Flick. And uh, I think that that would be a no-brainer for them to be able to come on and perform that song at some point. And I wouldn't be surprised if we wouldn't also hear Do It For LA at some point. At the bank, maybe live. I mean, we got to see Sticks do our glorious anthem, the one that brings us in and out of every episode live at the bank. That's true. But no, I think that here at the Palladium, I'm saying that the Hollywood Palladium, I would say, I would bet money that you will hear Rep in the City played at the Palladium. And I would not be shocked if Do It For LA was also played at the Palladium. Well, there you go. I would also not be shocked if you saw some black and gold on stage. I have a feeling those guys are going to be decked out in the merch when they get up on stage. I just feel like it seems on brand. I would bet money too. You'll see hats or jackets or whatever. Yeah, it's a cool track. Uh, they've been sneaking little snippets of it at halftime for a while. So we kind of knew what was coming. But the full part, especially when, you know, Cypress Hill comes in later on in the act and B-Reels there. I mean, that was not something we had heard at the bank previous. So good stuff, man. You can't, can't complain about any of that. Nothing like having Cypress Hill write a song about your football club. It's good stuff. So obviously the week off, international call-ups, my friend, moving on. So uh, we have quite a few LAFC players out on international call-ups. We got Maxime Cropo out for Canada, Sebi Mendez out for Ecuador, along with Diego Palacios and Sifu. Got Tomas Romero repping El Salvador, Denny Boanga with Team Gabon down with Mexico's U20s. We've got Christian Torres, Tony Leone, Nathan Ordaz. Torres scored himself a goal, by the way, against the United States, but still scored himself a goal, by the way, with Mexico's U20s. And then, of course, Kellen Acosta, Team USA. And what's that other international we have place for that team that's not England, but it's kind of English? What's his name Scotland? again, Chris? Scotland? No, I'm pretty sure it's not Scotland. Northern that's Ireland? Up. There you go. There you go. Northern Ireland. Yes, of course, Gareth Bale representing Team Wales, uh, who's got himself a couple appearances, one full 90 as he works his way up. There was some drama about him going 90 minutes. Did you catch that, my friend? Well, it was just the fact that this is the first time that he had gone a full 90 minutes since he was with Real. And, um, you know, I didn't watch his performance. I don't know how he played, but I know that the Guardian came out, media outlet that's out of the UK. They wrote an article stating that the Wales national team and LAFC will be in constant talks, making sure that Gareth Bale is in top shape for the World Cup and that they want to make sure that the two clubs align for this execution. I think that Wales is interested in having Gareth go 90 minutes as often as possible. So with that, we might see an uptick in the number of minutes that we see Gareth play with LAFC. Well, I, I think, look, if you're Steve Terundolo, this is a difficult decision right now because I don't know if Gareth Bale is in my starting 11 right now. So here we have Wales as a country wants Bale to play 90 minutes. Do we have LAFC as a team thinking Gareth Bale is the best person to be in our starting 11 right now over Arango, over Vela, over Buanga? Given the amount of 
minutes that he's played and seeing what he has done outside of those handful of games where he was able to put goals in the back of the net, he, for the most part, has kind of been absent on the pitch. And, you know, so when you look at that, you would, you objectively, you'd have to look at it and say, no, he's not in our starting 11. But then at the same time, too, it's Gareth Bale, and you know what his capability is, and you know what he brings to a squad. And it's the naysayers that want to just keep defending him because it's like, look, I'm telling you, it's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. Unfortunately, we're running out of like opportunities to like take chances of like, hey, it's bound to happen. Just keep putting him in. Like, if we put him in for these next two matches and we lose, that doesn't jeopardize our playoff spots. We're still going to have the same two home matches. It just potentially jeopardizes the, the it jeopardizes. Shield. It on, does jeopardize the shield, but it also jeopardizes hosting the MLS Cup should Philadelphia be the Eastern Conference representative and win the Supporter Shield. But let's just say hypothetically, you were to put Gareth Bale in for 90 minutes or high 70 minutes. Uh, for the Portland match and the Nashville match, and he still doesn't perform well, you no longer are going to feel comfortable taking that risk of putting him in on an MLS playoff match where it's win or go home. So who are you sitting to put Gareth Bale in? Like, if you're Dolo and you decide to start Gareth Bale, is that in place of Buanga? Is that in place of Vela? You can't take Vela out. Can't take Vela out. You know what? I think that you have to take Vela out because I think there's too many times that Gareth Bale and... Carlos Vela seem to occupy a similar space and you know I just I haven't seen that dynamic between the two of them pay dividends and so it just makes me think that they might just be too similar in terms of the space that they want to secure you're asking the wrong dude dude I'm not I'm just saying I'm just saying like I I cannot see an LAFC right now taking Vela out of the 11 he's our leader for assists he's our captain Scoring goals, takes our PKs, you know, he's marshalling everybody around. I, it's hard. You can't take Vela out. Arango, at the rate he's scoring goals, I mean, it's hard to argue with his production in front of net. It is very easy to argue against his defense and his passing and his buildup play, you know, all of which are, are frustrating at times. But when the guy gets in front of goal, the guy scores. You know, Denny Bowanga knew, but still been promising, been creating a lot of chances. You know, the thing about Gareth Bale and LAFC is not only has Gareth Bale, you know, since he scored that worldie in Utah, not only has he not looked great when he's out there, but LAFC have not looked great when he's out there as well, too. I mean, the team, it's not like there's someone else scoring a ton of goals and he's just missing out on the goals because someone else is reining him in. I mean, the whole team looks a little disjointed when he's out there. You know, we've seen his passing you know, especially his attacking passing is certainly not creating a lot of chances as well, too. A lot of times he's behind the player to the, you know, they just they're not gelling and he's not picking it up. And and I get it. Wales wants their product to be ready for the World Cup, but we can't do that at the expense of not playing our best 11. And I just I don't see him in the best 11 right now. I think he's a great opportunity to come in late and help you see out a game. But I mean, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, I, I guess these are the kind of problems we have to have not finding enough minutes for Gareth Bale, but I just don't see it right now. I just don't see him in the starting 11. And unless we have a lead, I don't see putting him in. You know what? I, I mean, this is not new. This is not a new all of a sudden 
What do you mean we got to get Gareth Bale ready for the World Cup? He came here to L.A. to be ready for the World Cup. So I would like to believe that LAFC is like, yeah, I know. We're taking care of it. You know, like we we have our plan. You know, Gareth, every interview that Gareth gives, he talks about how happy he is here. I mean, if he wasn't getting minutes and and it it was affecting him to where he was unhappy. I don't think Gareth Bale's the kind of person to mislead people. If he's unhappy, he's told historically in the past when he's been unhappy at Real, he told people he was unhappy. And I don't think that he would sound the way he is if he was unhappy here in Los Angeles. So he just went full 90 for Wales. So, you know, whatever LAFC is doing, they're keeping his fitness up, whether it's employing him in game time or not. They're keeping his fitness up to the fact that he can go full 90, but he's not showing it right now. He's not looking lethal well you know and and i mean maybe he's still trying to feel it out you know what let's be honest right the speed of play is drastically different than what it is in la liga okay and the players that he's playing with are not at the same level as the players that he played with in la liga so you know, the passing that he's receiving, the passes that he's giving, the movement, the on the field mentality, the smarts that they have for knowing where they're supposed to be. It's not at the same level, because if these players were playing at that level, they'd be over in Europe. They wouldn't be here in the MLS. You know, maybe he's still trying to just get acclimated and adjusted because it probably is a slower game than what he's been playing for the last you know, decade or so. Sure. I would just like to see it come together in the next two games. But look, I'm still very happy we have Gareth Bale on the team. I still think we are yet to see his signature moment. I think it's going to happen. I just don't see it in the starting 11. But moving on, there is a brand new Mofasio Memorial Football Club charity out there. It is a beautiful, beautiful scarf. We would highly encourage you all to go out there and check out the Instagram account forever underscore mo underscore FC 2022. Sorry, it's a complicated title there. And check out this beautiful scarf that's been made. Proceeds going to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. Again, we keep loving all these charity events that keep coming down the pipe. We heard a ton of money was made for the court doing the tacos last weekend. I know Scarf sold quite a few of his trading cards out of his personal collection. We still have bottles of D9U tequila for sale at flaskfinewines.com. If you want to continue to find other ways to support the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. But Chris, I know I've already bought my scarf. I'm going to be picking it up at the next home game. I'm sure you're buying one of these too, right, brother? Absolutely. I put in the order. I sent the Venmo payment. Had mine getting shipped just because you yeah, guys... It was, you know, I don't, I don't always get to get out to uh, go pick up stuff before the match. So, you know, but I am supporting and, uh, you know, there's only 500 of these scarves limited, limited. So, uh, make sure that you guys go and pick one up. This is, uh, you know, it looks great. I th- I love the art. I love the art deco on there. And it it is very much a feel of the 2022 uh, LAFC home kit. It has that same vibe and feel to it. I know Mo would be so happy to know that he was memorialized on a scarf. I know that would touch the man. So please, anything we can do to continue to honor his memory and help and raise money for that futsal court, appreciate it. All right, my friend, time for the big news that dropped today. We are going to play an away game versus Carson in Pasadena. Boom. So next year's season opener, our quote-unquote away game, is going to be played at the Rose Bowl Saturday, February 25th. It's going to be a boatload of fans in there. 
initial just thoughts and reactions before we get into the particulars. Okay. Well, so initial thought after being on social media all day, practically, our fan base really irritates me sometimes. Okay. Like we have seen people suggest for a number of years now, let's have an LAFC Galaxy match at a neutral site that can accommodate more people than the 22,000 at the bank or the 28,000 at Dignity Health Sports Park. And we finally have it. I'm still baffled that there are people complaining about this. And, you know, I don't understand it. It's, you know, they're like, oh, well, why not at SoFi? Well, if you click the article and you would have read the article that takes a few minutes, you would have seen that it was the Galaxy are hosting two home matches in 2023. We're playing three matches in 2023 and three matches in 2024 because of the introduction of St. Louis SC into the Western Conference, which is now made an odd number of teams in the Western Conference, thus giving us the opportunity to play the Galaxy three times. So the Galaxy are hosting our home two times in 2023. LAFC will be the home team two times in 2024. And so the Galaxy are the ones that chose the Rose Bowl. So that is technically an away game for us, but it's at this venue. The Rose Bowl just hosted Mexico and Peru this past weekend. Previously to that, it was uh, Juve and Real. And, you know, there was huge, huge crowds for those. So I, I would like to believe that we are going to get the biggest crowd that we have seen for an LAFC Galaxy match. That's an obvious, but I would love to see the stadium sold, packed. Let's show them on a global scale how big this rivalry truly is. And I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand why people are still complaining. It's like, you know, not every match is going to be able to be at SoFi. And for the people that suggested having it at the Coliseum instead of having it at the Rose Bowl, I've seen football games, American football games at both those stadiums. Both those stadiums are terrible in terms of just like the view from the stands because they're so old. Well, isn't the Rose Bowl like 150 years old? You know, so it's like they they were built so long ago that, yes, the architecture and the structure and the uh, vantage points are all bad in comparison to what we see in modern stadiums. All those things. All those things are just like, man, I, I was so excited. And then you're going through and you're just seeing people complain and complain and complain and people saying it's a money grab. And it's like, man, like. I want to get up for this. I want to be excited. I want this to be huge. That's what I, I want this rivalry to be the biggest rivalry in American sports, not just the MLS. Like I want this to be the biggest rivalry in American sports, but it's never going to get there if, if we don't do things like this to showcase how many people actually want to see this happen. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Preach on. So here's my thoughts. Look, Coliseum holds 78,000. Rose Bowl holds a little over 90,000. SoFi holds the most, but I don't believe the pitch would be wide enough to meet league minimum standards. So I know we talked about this when we had the LAFC America game there as part of that double header that they had made some modifications to make it slightly wider, but that it still wasn't wide enough to be a legal pitch. And if they were going to have World Cup games there and other games in the future, they were going to have to retrofit the stadium in order to accommodate the wider pitch. And I don't know if that was ready in time for this year or not. Obviously, I don't think it is. So I think that might have ruled out SoFi. So between the Memorial Coliseum's 78,000 people and the Rose Bowl's 90,000 people, I mean, how fun would it be if there were 91,000 soccer fans in that building watching a, a match 
of LAFC versus Galaxy. I almost used I almost used a word I don't ever use just to describe this game. I almost slipped up and said it. I had to catch myself there last minute. Bro, we, almost, you know what? We have to just I almost had to do it. like 50 Hail Carloses to cleanse myself. Bro, I'm like we we have to just accept the name, dude. It's never going anywhere. We just have to accept it and just, you know. Well, it might take a very literal new take on that if we do end up playing because the Rose Bowl is known for oh, some of the terrible. most brutal traffic Yo, one can it, ever experience. So, you know, this match is going to have so many extra seats that having an opportunity like this to take my son's club team. I was like, this is, this is a perfect opportunity. This is a great opportunity to take my son's club team. He gets to see LAC versus the galaxy. There's going to be probably an opportunity to have a bunch of extra seats. And then all of the other things that then start going into my head about, well, the traffic getting in and out of the stadium is going to be a pain. I personally would prefer to be one of those people that parks outside of the stadium and walks 35, 40 minutes to get into the stadium so that I can walk out because walking out of that stadium, walking is probably going to get you out of that stadium faster than sitting in your car and sitting in traffic and going through this traffic snake do i want to deal with my kids while i'm walking you know 35 40 minutes in 35 40 minutes out you know also subconsciously i'm like man i really would like to watch this game and you know it's like you're going there with but i digress i'm just saying when you're talking about the traffic i think that the hotter ticket is to park well outside of the stadium and get yourself, you know, a two-mile walk into the stadium and uh, walk out of the stadium and then go to your car. Another fun thing about this game, it's going to be the very first broadcast under the new Apple TV contract. And we are hearing some rumors about what that's going to look like so far. So it does sound like each team is going to have its own channel and its own broadcast that will be unique to that team. So it does seem like there's some light at the end of the tunnel for hopefully retaining the services of folks like Max Bredos, you know, all the other people involved in our broadcast, both on TV and radio, and all the things that we were concerned might go away with this new Apple deal. Does look like there is some hope still, fingers crossed, you know, a deal gets worked out with Max specifically. I would hate to see Max go away after five amazing years as the voice of LAFC on TV, but uh, we shall see. You know, I also really like having Rogo and Jordan Harvey and all the other cats that have been on there pretty regularly. So that's um that's at least good news. But this will be our first ever look at the new Apple TV broadcast. So it might be, you know, their national team crew that comes in and does this one. It's again, we're, we're still speculating at this point and exactly what that's going to look like. But this will be the first time we ever get to see it unfold before us for the MLS. But nice, man. I mean, you got to figure bank holds over 20 grand. What, what is it now? What's not? Is it still Dignity Hill Sports Park? What do they call that stanking down on Carson? Yeah, bro. The digs. The digs. That's right. And Stinky Carson. The digs. You can, I mean, they're less than 25,000, I think, per game. So, I mean, you combine both full stadiums, you're still not at half the capacity that the Rose Bowl holds. I mean, everybody knows that this particular derby is one of the hottest tickets around. The fact that 90 plus thousand people could come and see it and put on that kind of spectacle, and I think it's going to be, you know, I really hope that whoever is the home team allows enough away support and the kind of active support that you know, would make this a proper rivalry game. I really hope we can have flags and drums and all that fun stuff at either end. Because if they end up doing one of those, well, you can only bring one drum, but we're going to bring in 20 drums kind of things, then, you know, that's obviously going to be fairly lame. But I think both fan bases are going to have fun with this. 
I think it should be a good game and a great way to kick off the season, right? I mean, that's that's a bragging rights from day one. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I really do hope is does not happen. You know, when I was reading the article by Kevin Baxter and I was reading the press release that LAFC put out, something that caught my attention was the fact that the Galaxy are going to be holding, right, because it's their home match, they they have the discretion as to how to give out tickets and how, what's the allotment and things like that. And because these tickets are going to be sold in October, I just, I would, I really would like to see the set, the separation, you know, you have divided sides of the stadium. Like, I think that that would be better in that, in the sense of that, hey, look, this section over here is is just purely with the intention of being LAFC, you know, and then and this section over here is purely with the intention of the galaxy, because I think that that buffered neutral in the middle, you know, right, you know, I think that that would be the best way to go about doing this. But I'm fearful that because of the short amount of time until these tickets go on sale, and typically the MLS doesn't do a great job in planning ahead for things like this. And I think we also saw that when it came to the double header match at SoFi, there was the intention that, oh yeah, these sections, it was going to go section by section. And that was a total fail. There was no section, no security, nothing of the sort. I just, because there's going to be so many more people, I think that it would be awesome if there was a little bit more of an orchestrated organization as to separating the fan bases. Yeah. And I hope we get like a decent, you know, at least thousand member supporters section on either side would be would be pretty fun as well too please uncle garber make it happen all right my friend that about wraps us up for news and notes Uh, i think we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and come back right on the other side with today's opponent correspondent none other than sam spiller catch you after this hey what's up everyone it's oliver curry head kit man for lafc and you're listening to the shoulder shoulder podcast Joining us now as our opponent correspondent, coming at you live for the very third time, a man ready to philosophize on all things pesky pine trees of Portland. It is none other than Sam Spiller. You can give him a follow at Samich923 and please check out Stumptown Footy at Stumptown Footy. Welcome back, never, Sam. Never get tired of that intro. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for having me back on, guys. Good to see you. Absolutely. Super really excited to have you to back. Have you back on. So let's go ahead and, and run it through real quick. Portland currently sitting in Sixth place on 46 points. Y'all got 11 wins, 13 ties, and eight losses. Currently tied with Carson in points. However, four wins, three ties, two losses over the last eight games in August and September. Currently riding a four-match win streak prior to the 1-1 tie with Columbus on the 18th of September. So why don't you go ahead and just, for the fans, catch us up on State of the Union for all. Yeah, it's been another another roller coaster season for the Timbers where um, basically there have been several moments this season where we thought, okay, Portland's finally putting it together. They're finally, finally figuring some stuff out. They're finally going to go on a run of form. And then they face plant in some way, shape, or form. They throw, like, they'll let in, like, a last gasp equalizer and draw it home. Or they'll go on the road and get smacked by Kansas City or something. So, for a while, it kind of felt like Portland was teetering right in the edge of the playoff line, bouncing between somewhere between, like, sixth and eighth, somewhere around there for most of the late summer. And then recently as the Portland Timbers have been doing for the better part of the past four years, they're turning it on right when it matters the most at the end of the season. Kind of inspired by a uh, win over the Seattle Sounders, big rivalry win where they won the Cascadia Cup 
at the end of August, they really discovered a good run of form, like you said. Um, four straight wins, and then the last gasp draw at Columbus, which was one of those draws that kind of feels like a win. They've really been starting to figure some stuff out. They've really started trying to play with a lot more intensity, I think a lot more determination, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. They're looking a lot more composed. There's been a formation shift, which I can talk about, that has kind of led to some of that. But but overall, Portland is doing that thing that they do where they start to play their best soccer in the fall when the when we get towards, you know, the tail end of MLS season when all games count a little bit more. Yeah, so your last two matches are with LAFC and RSL, right, this weekend against us, which is why you're on the show. RSL is on the outside looking in. Obviously, you're in the playoffs, but you're looking for a potential home game. You don't have the tiebreaker with the Galaxy, and Nashville is only one point above you all. So what do you think uh, needs to happen? What machinations would you prefer? You know, kind of straight up beating the last two games, LAFC included, or you want to kind of have Nashville fall and, and a Galaxy fall. Talk about that. Yeah, I think the big thing that Portland needs is they need wins. Like you mentioned, they've had 13 draws this year. I think it's the most in the league. They went on a run in the summer where they went undefeated for a 10-game stretch, but over half of those were draws. So what's that? The result of that is now Portland doesn't, it's likely not to hold that total wins tiebreaker over any of the teams around them in the standings. Hence why the Galaxy are currently above Portland in the standings, even though they're even on point. So, you know, if Portland really wants to do the most that they can to put themselves in the best position to potentially get one of those top four spots, get a home playoff game, they need to win. Like they need to win these two games. There's always the chance that chaos will ensue around the Western Conference, which has kind of been the theme for the past few weeks, and the teams around them kind of slip up. I don't think the Timbers want to leave it to chance. They've left a lot of the season to everyone else around them, just leaving the door open just a little bit. And they've been able to benefit from that now for kind of being in the playoff picture, trying to solidify it rather than being on the outside looking in. So they really do need to focus on if they really want to secure that home game in the playoffs, winning final two games against LAFC and RSL. And that home game will be important. Since MLS shifted to the single elimination style, Portland has looked miles and miles better at home than they have uh, on the road. 2020 notwithstanding, because there were no fans in Providence Park, was it really the home environment that kind of person around Bay Road, home games in 2018 and 2021, all the way to MLS Cup. Uh, those home games are really important for Portland to make a run in the playoffs if they really want to. So if they want to ensure that they solidify their spot, that they got to do everything that they can to get those two wins. And in addition to that, to carry this kind of momentum and this positive form that they have into the playoffs. So, you know, just turning back the time real fast, you know, it, it had been some time since we had had uh, an opportunity to play Portland, right? We played in the regular season, we played in, in March, and then we played again in May for the U.S. Open Cup. But when you go back to what the team looked like in March, which that was match day two, this was a very different team for LAFC. Portland came out and got the early goal in the 18th minute from Chara. And then at the death, uh, Mamadou Fall came in with a header, the equalizer for LAFC to salvage a point. So talk to us a little bit. Obviously, you know, there has been massive transition with LAFC in terms of the player personnel that has come in. How has it been for Portland since we played you guys in March? You know, talk to us about any of the players that might have come into the roster, out of the roster, or players that might have uh, been emerging. Yeah, Portland's roster has, hasn't has changed a lot at all over the course of the 2022 season, which is kind of strange for the Timbers um, going into it. This team is by and large the same as the one that played that 
we saw when we last played LAFC back in March. They signed a uh, uh, under-22 signing, uh, Juan David Mascara, a right back. He is very much a future project. He's not meant to be a immediate difference maker to sign right now. He's only 18 years old. Um, he just got his first MLS minutes um, in their last game against Columbus. Outside of him, the team, the personnel-wise, is really the same. The big difference is Portland and that game I mentioned against Seattle shifted to a back three system, like a 3-4-2-1, a 3-4-1-2, some variation of that, but generally involves getting an extra center back on there, playing with wing backs. Um, that has really helped Portland solidify its defense a little bit. Um, and another knock-on effect of that formation change has been um, head coach Giovanni Savarese has decided to bench designated player forward Yaroslav Nisgoda um, in favor of uh, Daron Espria, who's not an out-and-out true center forward. Um, so that combination has kind of been the biggest kind of change. Um, Portland is playing a somewhat different style with different personnel in different places. Um, and that's been kind of really the biggest shift so far. Um, as far as losses or players, you're not going to see. You're not going to see Felipe Mora. He wasn't a part of the game last March. He'd been working his way back to fitness. His injury, he re-aggravated, didn't quite fully heal. So he had to undergo season-ending surgery um, in late spring. Um, that was a big blow, kind of thinning Portland's front lines. So he's not going to be a factor. Um, I think players that you will see again are, you know, your usual faces, your Sebastian Blancos, your Jimmy Charas, um, center backs. You'll have Bill Tulomo will still be back there. Um, a, a key player who really has come into form over the past month has been um, Santiago Moreno, uh, U22 signing. He's really kind of been the key piece that has helped Portland to this run. Um, he's proven to be their most dynamic attacking player. He, you know, beginning of the season, wasn't a regular starter. He had to work his way back into the team. He is now, and he's kind of going to be one to watch if you're thinking about key players that are kind of in form going into this game, um, been playing well. If you had to circle three names on this Portland roster that you think have to have an A-plus performance, if you're going to be walking home with three points, who are the three players that fans should really focus in on that are the linchpins for this Timber squad? I would say Tantago Moreno. Like I said, he's been playing really well. Uh, Alias Ivicic, the goalkeeper, he has been having a phenomenal season and is probably making the defense look a little better than it actually is. He's been having phenomenal shot-stopping ability. And then probably Dairon Espria, the kind of makeshift center forward. Um, he has been somewhat of a mercurial player. He had a stellar 2021, had a lot slower start to 2022, but his ability to just put his head down and run, like he works his butt off every single game. Um, he's not the most technically gifted player. He's not a true center forward. He, he's, he's normally a winger by trade, but Sabarese sticks him up top and he runs a back line, tires them out. And if he's having a good game and if he's occupying defenders and is finding more on the ball, that's going to create more space for the likes of Moreno um, to attack, to make more room. Uh, you'll notice I didn't say Eric Williamson, um, the the midfielder, the number eight, who I think Twitter is now yelling at Greg Berhalter for why didn't you take him to the uh, current international window? Who uh, on Twitter really? Who on Twitter is not yelling at Greg Berhalter right now? I think pretty much fair. all of Twitter, every account has some Berhalter out tag at some point in their thread. Yeah, that's, I mean, World Cup is going to be a blast. Um, it's either we win the World Cup or we don't, and Greg needs to go. We need to fire everybody at Soccer House. Uh, Eric Williamson had been a key part for the Timbers into summer. He hasn't had the best run of form. 
He missed a couple games due to suspension. He was a key piece of a, of an away win in Austin, but they've Timbers, Timbers have proved that even if he's not firing, they can still win games. I think Moreno finding space has been a more dynamic option for them. Obviously, if Williamson has a great game, fantastic. That helps make everybody better. But I think if you're going to will it down to those three, those three have been the players that have been the key difference makers over the past four or five games. And they're going to need to continue if Portland wants to continue to be, you know, to consider themselves a playoff team. Of the five last matches, you know, four of which you got wins, which of the teams give you a hard time, right? LAFC have three forwards or a striker and two wingers and very dynamic. I think you mentioned Austin. Do you think that's kind of a litmus test to, to having that defensive approach versus a team like LAFC who attacks in, the, in a similar way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Austin, the, the Timbers did a great job of forcing Austin into crosses. They played a lower block, which didn't allow Austin to play like their their intricate, like quick build-up play. They kind of basically seeded the midfield and forced Austin tried to break their low block down, and Austin couldn't. Um, so it forced them into cross after cross after cross. And if you have three center backs in there, you're probably going to win that bet most times. Um, I would argue the team that probably gave Portland the biggest scare during their win, uh, during their their run, was actually Minnesota United. It was a home game, but Minnesota came out with an adjusted formation. They played really well defensively, and if it wasn't for a couple of misses from on Minnesota's side, that game could have gone a little bit differently. Um, Portland, their, their new formation really struggles if wingers can get in behind the wingbacks. Diego Chara is ageless, and I'm convinced that he's going to play soccer until he's 50. But he's not as young as he was before. His legs don't run quite as fast as they were. So he can only put out so many fires. Um, if wingers can get in behind the wingbacks, pull one of the center backs out, I question how well the midfield could then cover um, for the Timbers. Um, they've been playing makeshift right wing backs. They haven't been playing normal right back Jose Carlos Van Ronken. They've been alternating Santiago Moreno or Darren Espria, um, other players kind of back there. So, you know, you have an offensive player trying to play defense. That has had mixed results so far. So if teams are able to exploit that space, it creates room. Minnesota was able to do it very well. They came in with a plan and it damn near worked. Um, I think especially against, you know, the likes of Vela of Bale of Rodriguez for for LAFC. It's going to be a, a challenge to ensure that they're um, tracking all of those runners. Oh wait, y'all still have a better version. That's what I thought. Better version. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I forgot. I forgot. Y'all have so many players like come and go. It's <laughs> it's going to sound because I'm going to do falls out on on loan as well, right? right? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, if you can get runners in behind, if you can get runners at that Portland de- uh, Portland defense, the Portland could be in trouble. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I, I wanted to mention. I think with Boanga in the, in the squad now, I think that's going to be a, 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 a space to exploit. So we'll see who uh, wins the chess game in terms of tactics or just uh, being able to to game plan appropriately. So looking over the course of the history between these two clubs, this will be our 16th ever match versus Portland. Five wins, five losses, five draws. Bizarrely deadlocked given that LAFC have sputtered going into the end of the season when it looked like they had statistically ran away with the supporter shield kind of took their foot off the gas and are, are now scrambling to try and beat out Philadelphia for that supporter shield and given that you know Portland have found some late form that kind of puts this game a little more even than it might appear on paper 
So it's time to put some predictions where your mouth is. Let us know, Sammy, what do you think is going down in this game prediction? Yeah, it's it's, it's the rubber match, right? It's five, five, five. It's all even. Gotta gotta even up. Gotta yeah. Gotta have a somebody take on in front. Um, I think. I mean, it feels like every time LAFC comes to Portland, it's always like an exciting game. Like I'm pretty sure last year wasn't like a, a late Felipe Mora last minute like stoppage time winner. There was like that, that wild high scoring one when Portland reopened Providence Park back in 2019, 2018. So um, they're never, I think it's on, I think it's on ABC. I think it's on network television. So appointment viewing, <laughs> if you have friends who, who want to, you know, board on a Sunday and want some soccer, probably a good one to go to. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Portland comes out. Generally at home, they want to control the ball more. That might not be the case against LAFC. They might force LAFC to use the ball. They've had more success when they see the ball, let other teams come at them, and then counterattack. I can see them doing that. I could also see them trying to play with LAFC. Um, I think there will be goals. I don't know if Portland's defense is good enough to keep out all of LAFC's attackers. Um, you know, Alex Ivicic says he's the best in MLS and he's very confident when he says it and you can only stop so many shots. So if Portland comes out and play, tries to play LAFC, you know, try to go shot for shot with them, basically, it, it could be a little bit of a, a little bit of a track move. If you force my hand and make a prediction, I think a tie is probably likely, probably a high scoring tie, probably like in your 2-2, you want to get crazy 3-3 kind of range. I could also see Portland very easily losing this game. They haven't scored. The, their goal against Columbus was the uh, first goal they've scored from open play since the end of since like mid August. They have been relying a lot upon set pieces and penalty kicks. So if Portland can't, obviously if you can't score, you open soccer games. But if Portland can't score, it puts more pressure on the defense because you're not forcing the other team to be honest with offensive threat. They're not taking goals attackers as seriously. So if you go just off of, yes, like you mentioned, the form going into it, LAFC has struggled on the road. If you go just off of just probably the, the teams on paper, LAFC is probably more likely to win, probably by one, maybe two goals. But Portland has made it their bread and butter to just like throw the odds, throw what it looks like on paper out the window, especially this time of the year. So um, a predicted tie, wouldn't be surprised by a loss. Also wouldn't be surprised by one. That's just MLS in, in late season. That's just how it goes. So now looking at the postseason picture, what do you expect to see uh, Portland ending up their season? And keep in mind, right, Portland finished last season in 2021 in fourth place with one home match. And then they went on a magical run to Colorado and won. And then they played RSL at home. And then boom. They were in the MLS, uh, the MLS Cup. So, you know, this team just recently was all the way to the final match of the season. So this team in a similar situation has known what it takes to get all the way to the MLS Cup. So what is your expectation for the uh, for the postseason picture of where Portland is going to is going to land? And how do you think they're going to do in the postseason? Yeah, what you mentioned is about them kind of knowing what it takes to get there. That's probably their biggest strength at the moment, considering under Sabrese, they've made two MLS Cup finals. If you want to count the MLS's back final, they made that final. They won that back in 2020 as well. Um, they have experience for making postseason runs, like you said, kind of Adam Nauer. First, they got to make it. A playoff place is not guaranteed for the Timbers. I could very easily see them losing on Sunday to LAFC, setting up a basically a game against RSL where that's basically a play-in game for Portland and for RSL. 
Um, and do you want to bet Portland's entire season on one game? Who I don't know, especially on the road. Um, so they got to make the postseason first. I think that is not a given. They're playing well enough to do it. They just got to get it over the line. Um, if they do make the playoffs, you, you mentioned, you know, all of those things that led them up to, 20, to the MLS Cup final in 2021. They don't have a lot of those same pieces. They're not showing a lot of those same things that they showed in 2021. They gave it. They made it to the final basically on the back of a good enough defense, really strong designated player like play and a good striker. Um, defense is probably at that level, probably like decent enough to good enough. I think Ayazimacic has proven he's at that same level that Steve Clark was at last year. Um, designated player wise, Sebastian Blanco. You notice too when I said three players, I didn't say Sebastian Blanco. Um, he hasn't looked at that same level that he's been at in 2021, in 2020, and 2019. Um, he has put up the numbers. He has seven goals and seven assists on the year, but he just hasn't looked kind of like that same game breaking dynamic force of a player that he was that kind of fueled Portland's run and fueled him in 2021. Maybe it's because he's, his injury is still getting him. Maybe age is finally catching up. Who knows? The point is he's not really being kind of like that same high level of player that he was in 2021 and Portland isn't getting enough out of their forward play so far. Their lone, like one of their their designated player forwards, Yaroslav Niskoda, hasn't scored a goal since July, and he hasn't started a game since mid August. Um, he's been coming off the bench. He's, you know, Sabarese has a player who is not a striker playing ahead of him. So if that says anything about the confidence that the coach has in his striker, that might be it. Um, and that could hurt Portland in the playoffs if they can't score goals. Like you can only get so far off of a decent enough defense and maybe playing for set pieces. Um, they need to have a player at the point of the attack, even just to stretch the field, to make room for their midfielders, to make room for Moreno, Blanco, Williamson. If they don't have that, I I, I struggle to see them making it very far in the playoffs. Um, I don't think Portland fans should immediately start booking their tickets for MLS Cup 2022. Um, I think if they make it, it'll be great. If they make a home game, cool. Maybe they can make it to the conference semifinals, conference finals, if they get lucky. Um, I would be surprised if they make MLS Cup in 2022. But then again, the Timbers, again, have kind of made it their mission to surprise me time and time again. I'm going to sneak one last quick question in on you here. Seattle currently sitting with 16 losses in their 32 matches, five points below the playoff line looking to miss the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Hearing all those beautiful words come out of my mouth, how does that feel to the Portland fan base? I have a rule where I do not talk any sort of crap about the Sounders until the body is cold, until they are done and we know for sure. Like Even when they were in MLS Cup 2020, even when they were already losing, when they're like, nope, we're not talking about it, we're not talking about anything until we know it's done. That being said, for Timbers fans, being able to see the Sounders not make the playoffs, that would be a little sweet. It would it would be it would be a nice kind of little it wouldn't fully kind of erase the feeling of, you know, having to watch Seattle win the CONCACAF Champions League earlier this year and everything that came out of that. Um, but it would just kind of be a nice kind of a little treat <laughs> kind of at the end of the season, especially because the Timbers, you know, beat the Sounders to win the Cascadia Cup earlier this year. I think that meant a lot to the fans to kind of have that trophy that they could point to to this say that we were the best Cascadia team those regional bragging rights really count really matter to win it at home by Seattle like that was that was kind of cathartic to be able to to win it like that so you know 
if Timbers fans get able to watch that, that would be fantastic. And there are probably some that would care more about that than about however Portland does in the playoffs. That's just kind of how the fan base operates. But like I said, you never know. And I'm not talking anything until the body is cold. But if it does, catch me on Twitter. I'll I'll go off on that. Small parade. (laughs) Small parade. Small one, yeah. Yeah, just maybe like around people's apartments, they'll host like their own like kind of like little little, little mini parades for things. It's it's been funny. There has been this extremely bizarre stat, which I believe it is every year since 2012, either the Timbers or the Sounders have been in the Western Conference Final, and every year since 2015, one of the Timbers or the Sounders has made MLS Cup, which is insane to think about that. That for the better part of almost 10 years, it's been one of those two teams at the end. So you have that on their side too. Like I think again, m- miraculously, like I said, like I'll pull them and I'll make a playoff run. They could very well just go to make up less cup and be like, what the hell is happening to, to see all of that? So it's just been this weird kind of dynamic and kind of like pattern and trend between like the two teams. That's probably because there's some real rivalry and animosity there. So it kind of like spurs each other on. But we'll see if that continues. Maybe 2022 is the year that finally ends. Yeah, I'm not I'm not ready to rule them out just yet as well. Too. Yeah. I was just, just curious <laughs> to see how that was simmering with y'all. But, yeah. Oh, uh, they're they're following. I think I think uh, Timber fans are taking like, it's like, oh, they're playing Cincinnati? Go Cincinnati. Oh, they're playing Go Cincinnati. Okay, go Cincinnati. Like, there's very much kind of some of that got to go on. As you should. <laughs> as you should. That's part of it. <laughs> Yeah. Folks, once again, our opponent correspondent this week has been the legendary Sam Spiller. Please give him a follow at Samich923. That's S-A-M-M-I-C-H-923. Please check out our friends at Stumptown Footy. You can find them at Stumptown Footy for all the SB Nation coverage of your Portland Timbers and Thorns. Sam, thank you so much for joining us once again. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. We really appreciate it. Folks, we will be right back after this short break with the final segment of today's show. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Oliver Curry, head kit man for LAFC, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, my friend, Mr. Spiller has got us all prepared for LAFC to travel north up to Portlandia and take on the pesky pine trees, the Timbers, 12 p.m. Going to be live on ABC and ESPN Deportes. What's your predictions, my friend? I think that it's going to be a hard-fought match. Portland is fighting for a home playoff match fourth place team is going to get that that home match second third and fourth is going to get a home match in that first round uh portland and nashville currently fourth and fifth and they're fighting for the that home match so we do have two hard matches ahead of us and i think that it is going to be a hard five match i think the portland is going to give us everything that they have because they do want to try and get as many wins as possible to secure a home match in the playoffs um but I think that LAFC is going to do its job and they're going to come out with a 2-1 victory over Portland. Portland play really well at home, right? Eight wins in 16 games, only two losses. That's impressive, you know? But you know what else is impressive? This LAFC attack when it's firing on all cylinders. It's really a matter of, okay, is it going to fit together yet? If it fits together, I can agree with you and we run them off the table. But seeing how good Portland plays at home and seeing that there are still some pieces in this black and gold system that are struggling to kind of make it together, I'd be hard-pressed to think we don't come out of there with a draw. And I know that that is auspicious in regards to our Supporter Shield standings. So my head saying draw, my heart saying win for this game, I'm going to go with my heart and I'm going to say that you know we get some amazing defensive stuff that happens in this game that 
you know, despite Portland having some run of play, we still managed to squeak out the win. It goes 2-1 to LAFC. We uh, have a chance to return back to the bank being supporter shield champions, depending on whether or not uh, Philadelphia can fall in their face against a weaker team. But that's my prediction, my friend. I'm not going to bank on Philadelphia dropping points. They have been rolling. That's just not something that I expect. But I do want to say that LAFC is going to come out. They're going to want to enter into the playoffs. If you beat Portland and Nashville, that sets a tone for your momentum going into the playoffs. So I am very confident that LAFC is going to come out and we're going to play well and we're going to do our job. You know, I think the funny thing is, is if you look at the way the schedule goes, if we lose to either of these teams the likelihood of us playing those teams again increases. However, if we beat these teams, the likelihood of facing them decreases. So it's interesting, right? I mean, you'd never want to give a team the upper hand going into the playoffs. So if either one of these teams, Portland or Nashville, are able to get a win against LAFC, that is a lot of confidence going into what could be our first round matchup versus one of those two teams. So I think it's ever the more essential that you have to close these games out with either a commanding draw, if you will, or an intimidating draw or a win, just in order to make sure that you have the right mentality going into the postseason. But all eyes on Portland, high noon. It's going to be a fun one, my friend. Uh, a lot of nervous nervousness maybe has stepped in at this point in the season. But uh, I, th- I really am confident that this team is going to figure it out and get it together. And, you know, hopefully this international break and a chance to kind of go back and look at some film for everybody and figure it out has them firing on all cylinders this weekend. Any final thoughts before we call it quits today, Amigo? No, just, you know, come out, support. It's going to be a lot of fun on Decision Day. I mean, we'll go over it on next week's episode, but I really think that Decision Day is going to be a lot of fun. Amen. Amen. Folks, we would once again like to thank Sam Spiller for joining us as our opponent correspondent. Please give our friends over at Stumptown Footy your fandom. We would sincerely appreciate that. On behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer Wilton, and myself, we'd like to thank you all for listening to this episode. Take us home, Sticks. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bitch.